It's wonderful to have you back again this week. My guest this week on the show is Jess Meredith. Jess is someone who is a neurodiversity speaker, trainer, and consultant. She is CEO and co-founder of Differing Minds. That's a UK-based organization helping people in a couple of areas. And she works with clients, helping them to kickstart a neurodiversity strategy. Now, why would an organization or people want to know what that is or need one? And as we'll cover in today's episode, there are three key words right now which you might have heard of, one of which is neurodiversity, one of which is neuroinclusivity, and the other is neurodivergence. So what are those terms? What are they to do with you as consultants, people running your own people business? Well, that's the point. It's about people because we've got different brains out there, different ways of seeing the world and different perspectives. So we're going to cover all of this today in this week's episode of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. It's another episode of the Training Business Podcast. If you're a consultant, if you're a coach, a trainer, a facilitator, you're in the right place. And if you're focused on making money from those things, you're definitely in the right place because every Thursday, there is an episode of the show to help you wherever you are on that journey. You're thinking writing a book or publishing a course or delivering a keynote to generate leads and to make a living from what you and I do best, which is helping people, then you're in the right place. Every Thursday, we've got guests or solo episodes to help you wherever you are on this journey. If you've not yet clicked on subscribe or follow, please do so now, and that will guarantee you an episode in your inbox on your podcast platform of choice. My guest this week, as I said before, the music is Jess Meredith. It's an incredibly interesting and relevant topic, so tune in and enjoy. Jess, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So the reason we're speaking, apart from the fact that we're near neighbors in Europe, you're in the UK, we are interested in in things to do with um, neurodivergence. And that's your area. You describe yourself as a neurodiversity speaker, trainer, and consultant. What got you interested or, let's say, passionate about these areas? and, And why does it matter to you personally? So I have always cared about um, inclusion. I grew up and still live in Brighton in the UK, which many people will know is a, not perfect, but it's a pretty diverse, inclusive place compared to a lot of others. And so when I grew up, that was very normal to me. And then when I entered the world of work a long time ago now, it didn't feel that way to me. So certainly in the organisation I was in, it felt like everybody look the same. They were trying to make everybody be the same, talk the same, act the same. And it just didn't sit right with me. So I always did a lot of inclusion work on the side of other jobs I'd had in the private sector. And so I really thought I was an inclusion advocate. And then I had my first child about six years ago, and it turns out she's autistic. And that opened my eyes up to this whole area that frankly, I was totally ignorant to. And um, she has other diagnoses as well. And it has been truly enlightening understanding more about her and then understanding more about all of our differences and all of our different brains. Mm-hmm. And so in learning about that, I then learned more about myself. And now I also have a neurodivergent diagnosis. I have ADHD and I wanted 
to share everything I was learning with others um, because I feel like if we all understood this and we were all at the place that I feel I'm at now compared to where I was before, we could make life so much better for so many other people. Amen to that. So you currently are co-founder of Differing Minds. You offer a range of services to your clients and... um, you also, on your LinkedIn profile, have a link which says, kickstart your neurodiversity strategy. What do you offer client organizations and individuals, and why would someone contact you in the first place? We work primarily in two areas. So in organizations, which is um, what you've mentioned, but we also work in schools. So we work in schools to teach teachers about neurodiversity, and we work in schools to teach children about neurodiversity. The main the main work that we do is in organizations and we run training and workshops i do a lot of speaking keynote talks panel discussions and we also do consulting and coaching so we run all of those services in organizations to make them more neuroinclusive to make them more inclusive for people regardless of their brain type or their difference or any diagnoses or identities that they might have So we work with organizations to make sure that if you are autistic, ADHD, dyslexic, have dyscalculia, Tourette's syndrome, or have none of those identities, you're all treated fairly and you have the same access to opportunities to get into an organization and then to progress through an organization as well. So the thing I would have to ask you initially is um, for people who may not have any one of those um, conditions, shall we call them, ADHD or autism or ASD, as it's sometimes called, that can be terrifying because they think, how do I incorporate that into my training and coaching or consulting? Or if I'm an employer, how do I shape the environment in a way that's neuroinclusive, even hard to say, neuroinclusive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk through a couple of the forms that neurodivergence takes, first of all, so we're clear on what terms we're using and what they actually mean. Yeah, and it's a really good point because I think one of the main barriers for people, as you've alluded to with this, is around terminology and how to talk about it. So it's really important to understand that neurodiversity is a a term that encompasses everybody. So it's just the difference in our brains. So we all sit under that neurodiversity umbrella. That's just a fact that is just saying our neuro, it's the diversity of our neuro, our brain, our, our neurology or our neurotypes. So we're all under that umbrella. There's a bit of a misconception. You hear sometimes people say, oh, I have neurodiversity or someone's neurodiversity. And that doesn't that doesn't really make any sense. So then for the purposes of the neurodiversity movement, which is to say that we should all be equally valued, respected, accommodated for and have access to all the opportunities in the same way, regardless of our neurotype. It's useful to categorize people because we love categories as a society. So it's useful to categorize people because of how we're living right now into those that fit the neuro majority. Um, and, and a lot of people will call those neurotypical people. That's what I would, that's the term I would use. And then those that sit it kind of um, in the neuro mi- minority, and those people would be termed neurodivergent. Now, there's lots of different terms. There's no new universally accepted terms, but those are the two main ones. Um, and the reason that it's important to useful to categorize is because the majority of the way that we live our life, the education system, the healthcare system, employment, workplaces, everything you can think of, has been built and developed with the neuromajority in mind. So we end up having to make some changes or adjustments to fit neurodivergent people. Now, I want to work towards a world where we don't need to make those changes because we're just 
taking into account everybody's needs at the beginning, but that's not the case where we are at the moment. So yes, very important to make sense of those terms. And within the neurodivergent umbrella, there's a number of different differences. So nobody has the final say about what is and isn't neurodivergent. There are no kind of hard and fast rules. Um, But the ones that most people consider to be in there are some of those I've mentioned. Autism, dyslexia, dyscalculia, uh, dyspraxia, Tourette's syndrome, some mental health differences, difficulties, OCD, bipolar disorder, um, acquired brain injuries. There's a whole host of things, sensory processing disorder. So it's anything that makes kind of a bit of a difference in terms of how you communicate, how you experience the world, how you process information, um, and in your sensory kind of makeup and profile. Now, like I said, some people will identify with those terms and think they're neurodivergent. Some people won't. I think the important thing really is how can we make sure we're accommodating everybody so we don't even need to really worry about that categorization. And that really is neuroinclusion. How can we create environments, workplaces, relationships that are supportive and accessible for everybody? You posted recently on LinkedIn about an airport experience you had and you addressed some of the challenges that someone might face with an aspect of neurodivergence. And then you went on to make some recommendations as to how that could be done in terms of paint and and smell and so on. And I thought that's quite intriguing. In terms of the physical environment, there are things that we can do, one can do. But when it comes to some of the work that we do as consultants, there's a virtual environment in, in play. And I was thinking, what does someone do or how can someone, first of all, be aware that a client, a coachee is neurodivergent, has specific requirements? How do we recognize those requirements and then satisfy those requirements? And I know that's perhaps a tough call, but um, I couldn't help but think about that when you described the airport experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, that just to touch on that was really interesting for me because I hadn't been on a plane for five years until last year, uh, last week. And it just, it really hit me. Having learned what I've learned, especially over the last five years in that period of time, it really hit me how difficult an airport environment and that whole experience is for somebody. Um, so I'd love to see huge change in that and, uh, you know, in in how we are creating spaces, um, especially for neurodivergent people. But yeah, in terms of what what people can do. So the one of the best things that you can do is to start talking about or being open about your perspective on neuroinclusion. I'd like to think that people would be positive about it and wanting to be neuroinclusive. So if you have a coachee, for example, um, and in your maybe introductory conversations or when they're filling out forms or wherever it is that you're having that communication, put a line in there. You know, I am or we are very supportive of everybody. You can list out some, you know, of the categories. Um, you can talk about being neuroinclusive. And I think just make, making it front and centre so that it you don't have to ask somebody if they're neurodivergent, but by those people reading through that stuff or, or hearing it, they're then much more likely to feel safe and think, oh, I can say I've got ADHD because this person clearly cares, or at least they're making an effort to seem like they care. And then, you know, if, if somebody ever says to you that they do um, have some kind of difference, um, it's a really good idea to 
not do what a lot of people do and then make assumptions about that person. So, you know, there's stereotypes that exist for all of our differences. And a lot of people hold on to those and think if someone says I'm autistic, then they know what that person is going to be like. And that's just not the case. So the best thing that you can do if somebody tells you is just to ask them about it if they're happy to share. So, you know, oh, thanks so much for telling me that. Um, If you're comfortable sharing, I'd love to understand a little bit more about that. Is there anything I can do to, you know, get the most out of you or, you know, uh, to enhance your experience or whatever the the situation you're in with that person? So say they're a coachy, is there anything I can do as a coach to make this a better coach-coachy relationship for you? What are some of the strengths that you possess as a result of being neurodivergent? Are there anything, uh, is there anything that you find more challenging? And always lead in with a strengths-based approach. So you don't want to do what a lot of people do, which is, oh, I'm so sorry, that must be awful. Um, You know, what are the main things that you struggle with? That it it sounds funny to some people who are in this space and realise that that's a bit of a negative thing to say. But that's genuinely a lot of people's first reactions. And it's one to really try and stop yourself from doing because you don't immediately that person will close off and think, oh, they've got a negative view of this already. They're making assumptions about me um, and they sort of put me in a box. Yes. And On the flip side, many people who are informed would quite rightfully say that there are, in fact, enormous strengths in some of these conditions. Um, Not everyone with with autism or on the ASD spectrum, autism spectrum, disorder spectrum, um, would be a savant, but there are people whose abilities play out in different ways. My sister's learning disabilities, but she has this amazing ability to recall numbers. I'm the opposite. I, I struggle with numbers. I often wonder if I've dyscalculia in some respect, mm. but it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just could be that we haven't yet tapped into that person's unique abilities. Other people have enormous linguistic ability, able to learn languages like this, but they struggle with that. So no one's perfect. There are people who display unbelievable skills when it comes to design or spatial awareness or conceiving new ideas. Others who are, let's say, on the classic IQ um, level uh, much more advanced might have nothing close to their skill. And so society in some respects has seemed to shape people to believe that we should all have these kinds of abilities and that we're measured by the standard system and that anyone who doesn't meet those requirements of a job, an employer, isn't really valuable or they haven't really what we'd call intelligence. And I was privileged to have uh, the late... Sir Ken Robertson on the show about four years ago, and he talked about the different forms that intelligence takes. How do you go about having a conversation with an organization that um, is maybe a bit cagey or careful about hiring people that have ADHD, ASD, or something that they feel could cause disruption or just not lead to that person fitting into the organization? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. You make a really good point about how we've got so used to as a society judging everybody by the same sort of, I call like base skills that we expect mm-hmm. from somebody, but it's really based on a neurotypical viewpoint. And often some of those skills aren't necessarily needed for every single role in an organization, but sometimes you can't even show your skills because we're so kind of caught up on that. But to answer your question, um, there's there's a few things that we do. I do all the time. So I talk very much about the social model of disability. So for those that don't know, that are listening, um, the social model of disability is different to the medical model of disability, which is the one that more traditionally people think about. 
So the medical model of disability says that you are disabled as a result of your impairment. So if you take a wheelchair user, for example, which because it's easier to think about it with a visible difference, the wheelchair user under the medical model is disabled as a result of their legs not being being broken or their back being broken or their legs not, you know, not having legs or whatever it may be that their impairment is. But the social model of disability says that somebody is disabled as a result of their environment. So in the case of the wheelchair user, they are disabled as a result of a lack of access. So no ramps, lifts, whatever it may be to support them getting around. And getting people to understand that shift makes people realise that for a lot of people, they might be judging them completely unfairly because they're judging them based on them not having access to employment opportunities or the ability to do their job because we're not doing the job in the same way. And we have a, a really good video on our YouTube channel which plays on an environment that was set up purely by autistic people and they worked exactly as they wanted to and then non-autistic people joined and they were the ones that had the problem. So they found it very, very difficult and it became the problem of the non-autistics and it just turns it on its head. And we use that in so many training sessions because people watch that 90 second video and suddenly they're like, oh, I understand. Like this isn't about the person, this is about what we've set up to enable that person. So that's one of the things that we use because it takes that mindset shift for people to really start to realise. Then secondly, we talk a lot about the number of people that are neurodivergent. So we know now that kind of up to 20% of people are neurodivergent. So if as an organisation, you're not thinking about this and you're not becoming neuroinclusive, you're failing the people that are currently in your organisation because there is almost no organisation that exists that doesn't have neurodivergent people in it already because there's so many of us. Um, and the other thing we talk about is spiky profiles. So your profile as an individual, um, if you were to kind of map that for your, all of your kind of traits, your cognitive abilities, for a neurotypical person, it would sort of come out quite bumpy across the sort of line. You know, I'm quite good at this, not quite so good at this, quite good at this, not quite so good at this. But in the case of a neurodivergent person, you might really, really excel in one area, find another area really, really challenging. So it's much more spiky. And once you show that as a concept, you can start to see from an organization's point of view, if I support people with all those things that they find challenging, I'm going to benefit because a lot of organizations obviously are profit making. Um, I'm going to benefit from all that stuff that exists on the top for that individual. But all I need to do is support them and work in a way that works for them. Um, and, I, and the other thing I talk about is that relates to kind of your point around these different skills that we possess and not having to always have these kind of same skills and there's different ways that we can be intelligent. I talk about creating exceptional teams, not exceptional individuals, because it's almost wasted to expect everybody to be good at all of the same stuff. I'd much rather in my business have teams of people that were all really, really good at different things and together we make an exceptional team. That to me is like the most difficult efficient way of doing things because then we're not wasting anybody's skill sets um, and I think we need to move to a place where we understand that to make everybody good at the same thing is not necessarily about pushing people in outside their comfort zone which is what gets talked about a lot oh you might find this a bit tricky let's you need to push yourself outside your comfort zone you really need to like push through this and get better for some neurodivergent people that that push will be to try and do something that their brain is just not really wired to do so you're wasting their time you're wasting your time yes they might be able to do it as an ADHD who finds um managing my own diary my life admin incredibly difficult 
I can do it. I have survived until this point. I can do it. But now I have someone in my team that does it for me. I am far more productive um, in all the other areas. I get things done far quicker than I know a lot of other people would, could could do. And that is a much more efficient way of working. Um, and you get to benefit from all of my skills um, as, as, as a skilled ADHDer that just happens to find some other things quite tricky. And a lot of what goes on with ADD, sometimes ADHD, and there are people who argue on YouTube about the difference in those terms, um, is that there are aspects of that um, that condition which often is inherited. Um, it's not something that people decide to have. And some people have said to me, half-jokingly, you know, it sounds like something that people feel it's in the press, therefore I must have it, but it's not yeah. necessarily true. This is as a result of a a clinical diagnosis. It's not something you decide to have on the basis of a, or a quiz on, on some uh, website. Um, but there are aspects of ADD, ADHD, which are really interesting because people can be quite creative. Seemingly, a lot of entrepreneurs have this. I'm not sure if there's any literature or research to back that up, but it's been said, if you will, in frequent conversations online that a lot of people who have this sense of um, rapid creativity, uh, ideation, sometimes called, uh, display signs of ADD, ADHD. But what they need are people, as you've mentioned, who excel in the blue range of things where they are very systematic, routine-driven, and um, are adept at making those with ADHD or ADD look good. Um, so I like what you're saying about the team. It, it makes sense because not everyone's perfect and not everyone's good at everything equally, but if we can find a balance in helping someone who has ADD in our team, in our uh, client organizations to, to shine, to look good, to stand out, we're ahead of the game because many organizations don't do that. A hundred percent. And there's still so much for people to understand and so much for organizations to understand. And those that do start to, really take this seriously are going to get ahead of those that don't because there is you know there is so much talent within the neurodivergent population that is just not being utilized and you're absolutely right so i know that adhders and those uh, dyslexic people over index in entrepreneurship um so i think from from my understanding it's not clear how much that is to do with their entrepreneurial spirit um because that definitely exists um for for some of us um and how much has to do with the fact that we find a lot of organizations very difficult to operate in or very difficult actually to make the most of our skills so there's probably those two things driving that but it, it is a fact and there are so many another another thing i talk about quite a lot now is um you know famous people who are neurodivergent and, and amazing things that they've achieved because now I think that that is more prominent. People can start to see, oh, yes, actually, you know, I would want someone like Richard Branson in my organization. Um, you know, that's certainly not going to be a bad thing. So I think more, I really wish more people started to realize that. Um, and to touch on something you mentioned before about it's in the media a lot. There are a lot of people being diagnosed later in life with um, neurodivergent conditions now. Um, my view on that is entirely positive. Um, and I really believe that there, I need people to understand that the negative stereotype of being neurodivergent still exists. It has not gone away. It actually far outweighs any positive that has been done in the last 
very short amount of time around neurodiversity that I'm telling you there is not enough of that to warrant people wanting to be diagnosed or wanting to identify as a neurodivergent person if they have not experienced something very, very different in their life. So it, it is it is very difficult when you hear that narrative playing out and it's going to hold us back from getting to a place where we really, really need to. And like I mentioned at the beginning, I really wish this wasn't about neurodivergent versus neurotypical and we didn't need to categorise. That's where I want us to get to. And then it doesn't matter. So does it matter if someone wants to identify as neurodivergent and you don't think they are? Probably not. It's really just about making sure that we are making the most of all individuals so that as a society we can thrive. Yeah, and I and I'd like to second that. Um, I, I'm also wondering sometimes how many of my colleagues in consulting and people who are independent business owners make those choices and go into consulting, go into training because they have those skills or abilities that make them highly adept at scanning, finding patterns and things. Um, they're not great in the office environment because they don't like that routine, that drudgery but they love the variety of, of working with clients. And I, I'm wondering, as, as someone who is also in the consulting sphere or training and development sphere, do you ever see that? Have you ever thought, I wonder if that person, that peer in, in our industry is, is there because there's something that, that inclines them towards working for themselves, working as a consultant. And, and, and sometimes it's because they wouldn't necessarily like the strictures or constrictions of, of a job a typical nine to five job. Yeah, I, I definitely think that exists. And I I try not to, it's very easy for me to spot traits in other people. Now I'm so, I understand an awful lot more about myself. And when you go on this journey and you understand more about neurodiversity, you definitely see it around. And I think absolutely what you said. So um, those in environments that where things can change quite a lot can be very, very, can be very, very good for some neurodivergent people, but also can really not work for other neurodivergent people. And if you have to happen to be um, an autistic ADHD, you've got both of those things often pulling at yeah. each other and you're not quite sure which one is stronger on, on any given day. But I think absolutely you're right. It's probably one of the reasons I started my career in consulting. Um, and the reason I thought that that would work out for me was because I wanted to be doing different projects. I'd want to kind of move on. Um, and if I actually didn't, I ended up leaving a consulting organization and I, then I joined another one. And my CV, I mean, I can't believe I didn't really realize ADHD. I had ADHD looking back because it's, it's like an ADHD, a CV. Um, and I think that a, a lot of people with ADHD really need that. They really need that, you know, kind of, um, dopamine hit of of trying something new or working with a different person or learning something new and it's actually what drives us to be really good um, and it can be you know we we can benefit from huge hyper focus as well so mm. the ability to really kind of hone in on a topic and become an expert very very quickly um, and in a way that a lot of neurotypical people just can't do but we have to be set up in the right way and have the right structure around us and the right environment um, to be able to do that. It's true. Lists, reminders, uh, routines, SOPs. Um, yeah. I, I, I wish I had that help years ago. I wish someone had pointed things out to me, but the CV was what did it to me. Someone looked at that and said, um, have you ever thought about X? And I thought, why are you asking? And then everything <laughs> fell into place. So for people listening, if this chimes with you in any way, if it strikes a chord with you in regards to yourself or other people close to you, it might be something worth a conversation. And I think um, for many of us, it actually clears away the fog, um, gives us new hope, and also provides lots of answers that um, we never thought of as questions. 
definitely true. I think um, having my diagnosis has been the most validating, liberating experience of my nice life. Not not wholly positive, that's for sure, because you know you do look back on lots of things, and it would have been very helpful to understand more about me earlier on. But it really has been very helpful. So, kind of working through the emotions of that, I'm I'm very very glad that it happened to me. I feel very grateful for it. Um, so I I it, it's just about understanding yourself better. Once you understand yourself better, the diagnosis doesn't really matter. It's about understanding what parts of you, or in my case, my ADHD are helping me and what are hindering me and what I can do to set myself up to make the best of myself. And I can do that a lot better now than I could before I understood myself. And my ADHD diagnosis has been a huge part of that. Jess, finally, where can people find out more about you? So you can check us out on our website. So um, differingminds.co.uk. But personally, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Um, Jess Meredith. um, And we're also on Differing Minds um, on LinkedIn. YouTube and Instagram. Jess, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. That's it for this week's episode of the show. Thanks for your time. Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode. And you can find out more about Jess by visiting her website, which is www.differingminds.co.uk. And you can also find Jess over on LinkedIn. That's Jess, J-E-S-S, Meredith, M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H. Please tune in again next Thursday for another episode of the Training Business Podcast. Until then, keep going. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.